0: This evening we've been reading from John's account of the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We've seen Roman soldiers mocking the King of Kings, seen Jewish religious leaders and a crowd uh, baying for his blood, and we've seen Pilate uh, buckle and give in to their demands and hand them over to be crucified. Uh, I want to focus just for a few moments on a couple of the verses in the passage we've just read, where John gives an insight into the significance of the death of Jesus. He gives us the insight, first of all, with a, a wee editorial comment, and then secondly, by recording Jesus' last words uh, that he spoke from the cross. So first of all, he, he ventures to tell us what's going on in Jesus' mind as he hung on the cross. He tells us that Jesus knew at that point that all was now completed. This sense that Jesus knew that something was finished uh, becomes more explicit then in Jesus' final words, uh, verse 30, the last words of Jesus from the cross, it is finished. According to John, Jesus understood in his mind and spoke from his lips something about a work or something having been finished. And it begs the question, I think, if you want to understand what's going on, on the cross of Jesus Christ, we want to know what he's talking about. What is it that's finished? As I thought about this, I wondered, was it it the awful suffering that he'd been going through? If you have a careful look at the story, it's Probably somewhere over twelve hours since Jesus was arrested in the garden at Gethsemane, uh, he's been in the custody of those Roman soldiers, and he's been the, the victim of some pretty awful physical abuse. He's been punched in the face in the high priest's courtyard. He's been flogged. He's had thorns pressed, pressed through his his scalp and deep into his skull, and then he he's been subjected to to the agony of a crucifixion. Is that, is that what Jesus is talking about? These physical horrors that he's experienced and the excruciating pain that undoubtedly went with them, Is that what he means when he says, it's finished? Or is he looking back over his whole life as people tend to do? as they approach life's end? Is his life flashing before his eyes? Is he remembering his years as a boy in, in Galilee, growing up first in Nazareth with his father, Joseph, teaching him the carpenter's trade? Was he remembering those years of public ministry with his disciples preaching and healing in the villages around Je- Galilee and Judea? Was he looking at the events of these last days and last hours? And does it seem to him like everything that's gone before has come undone, that his ministry is fading away like a dying dream? Is that what Jesus is talking about when he says, it's finished? Let's try to get to the bottom of this. In his gospel, Mark tells us that it was with a loud voice, a loud cry, that Jesus breathed his last. This loud cry is a shout of victory. We know that from translating the Greek. And if we can assume that that Mark's comment about Jesus' last cry is about this, it is finished, that John's drawn our attention to, then we have to say that this is finished, is, is a victory cry. Jesus isn't talking primarily about his sufferings having ended or about his life being over, but about, about a victory that he's won, something that he's achieved, something that he's completed and where he's won through. The Greek word here translated, it is finished, is a single word, tetelestai, and it's a perfect tense I read this stuff in commentaries and then I say it to you. I don't know what most of it means. The perfect tense. Do you know what it means when Jesus said it is finished from the cross? It means this. It has been and will forever be finished. It's done. Job done. And it's staying done forever. So we get a sense here from Jesus' last words that he's completed some task that he's had before him all along. And and of course, now that we mention it, that's the way Jesus has been talking all along. Jesus was always talking about coming to do a job that his father had given him to do. We've seen that repeatedly throughout John's gospel. On one occasion he said, my food is to do the will of the father who sent me and to finish his work. He was saying that right early on in John's gospel, chapter four. On another occasion he said, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And during his last night with his disciples, Jesus gave the impression that his work was nearly done when he prayed to his father and he said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So as he hangs on the cross and as he breathes his last, Jesus Christ cries out in victory, it is finished. Because he knows he has done the thing that he came to do. He has carried the sins of the world. Deliberately and freely and in perfect love, he has taken the judgment that should have fallen on you and on me, and he's one salvation for us. He has forgiven our sins. And it's finished. It's done. And it's never going to be undone. Mark tells us in his gospel that at this very moment that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom so that we know that it's, it was only God doing it. The sin barrier between God and man has been kicked over. The way into God's presence has been thrown open. The job Jesus came to do is done, and it remains done for all eternity. This Good Friday evening, I just want to invite you to consider the life-changing impact of what we call the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul goes right to the heart of it whenever he says in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has borne our punishment. He has died our death. Condemnation on Jesus. No condemnation on me or on you as we trust in him. That's the deal. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. I wonder, are we really living in the light of that, this finished work of Christ this evening? If you're in Christ, if you've trusted him, if you've made him your Lord, then you need never feel condemned. Every morning you can get up You can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, there is now no condemnation. Maybe you could imagine yourself saying that in the morning time because each new day gives us that fresh sense of hope and a fresh start. Maybe it's harder to say it at the end of the day. When you've heard Satan whisper in your ear about the failures and the denials of that day or of 30 or 40 years ago? Can you say there is no condemnation? When you've failed to deliver in the workplace, when you haven't come up to scratch, Can you say there is no condemnation when your husband or your wife or your parents or children or your school friends or your fellow church members, when they have told you in no uncertain terms that they're unhappy with you? Can you say deep in the recesses of your heart there is no condemnation here we we must learn to we must learn to live without condemnation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ don't get me wrong our sins are real They hurt other people, they rob God of his glory and they grieve his heart. But there is no condemnation. You are free, and God regards you as righteous, and so should you. We should be thinking of ourselves as as saints to use the biblical world, as children of God, as heirs of his glory. And folks, that's why we call this terrible day Good Friday. Because on the cross, at the very moment where where God shows us our sin like never before, he shows us something even greater. And that's his mercy and his kindness and his grace. We should come before God in confidence and in freedom. Because here's the thing, God doesn't merely tolerate us. He loves us and he smiles on us and he welcomes us as any father would his children. I'm guessing that nothing I've said here this evening for a lot of you is anything new. You believe what I'm talking about here. But here's the thing. We only believe it to a point. We believe that this is all true of us someday in the future, on Judgment Day. We know that we will be welcomed finally into the presence of the living God because Jesus Christ took our condemnation on himself. That's what we believe, and we're right to believe that. But we don't apply all of this to our day-to-day living just now. We sing this stuff on on Sunday mornings and on Good Friday evenings, but we don't believe it on Monday mornings and on Saturday lunchtimes. Instead, we still try to, to prove ourselves in this world. We still try to, to do it through our work and through our performance and through our morality and through our service. But we don't need to. Because it's finished. And so I ask you this Good Friday evening do you see any traces of condemnation in your life? Don't be surprised if you do. But don't carry the burden anymore. Because of the gospel's power, you can be completely free. You can be free of condemnation. Not not mostly free. Not free of everything except that one thing that you think you have to atone for for the rest of your life. No, not like that. Completely free of everything that condemns you. Because here's why. The job is done. And it's staying done forever it is finished let's pray Father God we many of us have been gathering around the cross of Jesus Christ for years we know a good deal of what the cross means Lord we are prone to leave a gathering like this feeling feeling sorrow for our sin and feeling joy for your forgiveness but still carrying carrying bits and pieces and parcels of condemnation. Father God, help us to allow you to do a root and branch job of clearing out the clutter and the debris of our hearts. Do what you've said in your word. Wash us and make us clean. Take this this truth of Jesus' finished work on the cross and apply it to our lives so that we leave here to a man and to a woman and to a young boy or girl that we leave here knowing that it's done. We're forgiven. We're washed clean. The job's done, and it's staying done. Lord, would you do that work in our hearts this evening, we pray. Amen. I tend to finish our Good Friday services with a a sense of them being unresolved. Normally we like to send people home from church services with um, a smile on their face and a skip in their step. I think Good Friday might be the the one occasion in the year when it's okay to leave with things less than fully resolved. Come and meet with us here on Sunday morning. See how things play out. But in the meantime, let me read a last few verses from John's Gospel. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.